Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. Our show today will focus on two news-breaking events. In the first half, many have been killed from bomb blasts during a ceremony in Iran to commemorate Commander Qasem Soleimani, who was killed by a U.S. drone strike four years ago. No one has yet claimed responsibility for the blasts, but Iranian officials are already pointing the finger at Israel and the U.S. Who might be responsible and what would be the motivation? In the second half, we'll look at the violent stabbing attack on South Korean opposition party leader Lee Jae-myung. Join us for our discussion today. I'm Xu Qin-do. Joining me today are Anna Tangen, current affairs commentator, Wang Jin, associate professor from Northwest University of China, and Ganbar Nadari, columnist with Kayan International. Welcome to Dialogue. Uh, so, Gambar, I will start with you. So, how much do we know? You know, uh, what about the investigation? Who might be responsible for the blast? It is too early who was behind the attacks or who planned and ordered the attacks. But what is clear is that we can, uh, can easily understand who benefits from these attacks. The idea is to escalate the conflict in the Middle East, especially in Gaza, Syria, Iraq, and of course, Lebanon, because of the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. That is one of the reasons. That is one of the main reasons to get Iran deeply entangled and involved in this unnecessary and unfortunate conflicts. But on the other hand, we know that this was the anniversary of uh, Soleimani, who was at the forefront of the fight against terrorism and extremism, against ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Iraq and Afghan and, and Syria. So why not retaliate? We know that hundreds of thousands of Afghan refugees are now in Iran. They have been coming to the country over the past few months. And the establishment, the national security officials have made it absolutely clear that many of these people are former members of ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and that they might carry out attacks. Now they have done that. I think this is the finger. The, the, the fingers should be pointed at these uh, former members of the ISIS and Al Qaeda, and not is Israel uh, or or America, because they have made it absolutely clear that they had nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do you make of uh, the uh, motivation? Let's say you know they want to draw Iran into the regional conflict, uh, in particular Gaza crisis. And of course, there's a possible. Uh, scenario of uh, like uh, you know uh, ISIS you know attacking uh, the uh, the people uh, remembering General Soleimani here. When I was running through the list, I mean, it doesn't make sense for the United States. Uh, they're not interested in having uh, more uh, conflict in the Middle East. Uh, they're trying to tamp down what's going on in Hamas. And quite frankly, the military establishment has made it clear that they want to concentrate on Asia, not on the Middle East. Uh, Russia, obviously, uh, no interest. Uh, they, they have their hands full with uh, Ukraine. This would not be something that would be useful. It wouldn't detract uh, attention, anything like that. Uh, there is, you know, this the specter that this would be something that would favor not Israel as a whole, but Netanyahu, because quite frankly, uh, with uh, aid stalled in the U.S. Congress, if there is a wider war, it would keep him in power. Uh, right now, uh, over 50, well over 50 percent of the Israelis want him gone as soon as this war is over. So it would be in his interest to prolong it. But I think that is a long shot. I think it's quite possible that uh, ISIS is trying to cause. Uh, 
confusion in the Middle East, and that by drawing out a larger war, they would hope to carve out more uh, territory for themselves. Wang Jian, so what do you make of the blast? You know, what's the motivation? You know, uh, which party is likely be responsible for the bombing? Well, Jin uh, it's very hard to see, actually. On the one hand, a lot of information are still unreleased, so we uh, have to only to guess who are behind this kind of attacks. And on the other hand, given that uh, these attacks are not similar to the previous attacks that has that uh, erupted during the past two decades or three decades, we know that there were several kind of the possible actors behind this kind of the terrorist attacks. For example, we, some people say, Israel or United States, they might launch this time, <clears throat> this kind of terrorist attacks. But uh, given that uh, Israel, uh, yes, they have the, the capabilities, but Israel uh, pre during the previous years is really uh, only targeted the very, very important figure, uh, uh, has close connection with the nuclear plants and nuclear uh, projects, rather than try to target the, the, the public masses. Mm -hmm. And the United States target uh, some uh, important Iranian military figures outside uh, Iran's border, not inside Iran's territory, because the United States does not want to try to provoke the anger and uh, anger and hostilities, very direct hostilities between themselves and the Iranians. And also there were some other kind of the terrorist groups, such as ISIS. They also launched some kind of terrorist attacks. But given that ISIS usually launched the attacks through the very suicide attacks, because they try to show that they are not afraid of death, and they try to show that they will kill every passing passengers through guns, through the bombs, through grenades. But this time, but this time the, the, the terrorist attacks was launched through the very long-term bomb rather than some people or some terrorists just stand there to try to kill people directly. So this is very different from the previous attacks launched by either Israel, United States, or IS and other terrorist groups. So this is very early to say that who are really the murdered. I think we need time and patience to find out more information and to find out who are the really murderers of this kind of of this round of the terrorist attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, but Wang Jin, do you think these uh, you know, two bombings, of course, killing dozens at least, uh, do you think that it will somehow escalate the tensions in the region? You know, besides uh, the Gaza crisis, somehow other powers like Iran will get involved because of the bombing? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because on the one hand, we know that after this uh, terrorist attacks uh, happen, uh, erupted, that many Iranian people, they, uh, they they try to say, okay, now Israel should be blamed and United States should be blamed. So they created the sentiments of retaliation, the sentiments of revenge are so strong that might encourage the Iranian government to do something to, to show their strong stances against Israel and United States in the region. And on the other hand, we have to know that the Middle Eastern uh, geographic landscape right now is in the in this stage of growing uncertainties and growing attention. Uh, because not only the, mm -hmm. the Israeli-Palestinian crisis in the Gaza Strip, but about, but also the Red Sea between United States naval forces and the Houthi uh, forces. Yeah. So that is why this round of attacks will promote all more uncertainties and more crises in this region. This more will become the tragedy for everybody in the region. Mm -hmm. Ganbar, you know, the uh, Iranian leader Khamenei has said that, you know, Iran will launch a tough response for those behind the act. Of course, we don't know, you know, who, are, who were behind the act here. Uh, but how likely 
Um, you know, how do you think of the Iranian government? Do you think there is motivation for them to somehow escalate the tension or join this, uh, this uh, somehow participating in one way or the other, the crisis in Gaza? I don't think that is going to be the, the way Iran is going to respond. If these, uh, these uh, the remnants of ISIS and Al-Qaeda are directly involved in these attacks, including the separatists of Kurdistan, Kurdistan in Iraqi Kurdistan, definitely there will be some kind of missile attacks against their bases in those areas. Yes, Iran is going to retaliate, but on its own terms. And we know how it is going to do that. This will definitely be missile attacks of some one way or another. Uh, but, uh, you know, with that being said, uh, so certain tensions uh, will uh, grow, you know, between Iran and Israel, uh, Gambar. Yes, definitely. But Iran doesn't want to get involved in the ongoing war in, in Gaza. Iran made it absolutely clear that they had no idea Hamas would go, would go and, and, and attack Israel. But Hamas went and did. And we know what kind of consequences is still ongoing in Hamas and, and around the region. Neither Israel nor America nor Iran are, are willing to, to get directly involved in, in, a, in, a, in a hard war between each other. That is not going to happen. Iran is not going to fall into this trap. But as I told you, Iran is going to retaliate against terrorist bases and separatist groups in places like Syria and Iraq, Afghanistan, and of course, Pakistan. And I, you know, given what happened uh, in Iran and of course, you know, what's going on between basically the confrontation between the Houthi rebels and the U.S. Uh, so that's uh, people would say, obviously, that's a spillover effects of the Gaza crisis. Uh, the, the concern is like whether there will be a regional war, uh, you know, with uh, the, the ongoing, uh, let's say, attacks in Gaza. What do you make of it? Uh, uh, so should we be concerned with the development there? Well, you should always be concerned. I mean, uh, these types of events can uh, take on a life of their own. Right now, if people start saying that uh, this was uh, Israel and the population gets behind it, it's very, very difficult to, uh, to move that away. But I, I think you've heard a lot of voices on this show uh, indicating very clearly uh, that this is not the means and methods that are used uh, by any of these actors, and it certainly doesn't conform with anything. I, I would um, disagree slightly with my uh, Iranian colleague. I do not think it would be wise for Iran to start sending missiles into Afghanistan or anywhere else. Uh, these are, in fact, sovereign nations. If there are actors there, there has to be some other way of doing it other than uh, what would what could start a regional war, which is um, uh, missile attacks. Well, thank you, Wang Jian and Gambar uh, as the time limit. Now let's shift our attention to South Korea, where the leader of the country's largest opposition party, Lee Jae-myung, was stabbed at a political event. He's currently out of surgery and he's said to be out of danger for now. What more do we know about the motivation behind the attack? What does this reveal about political polarization and bitterness growing in South Korea? And how will the incident affect the upcoming parliamentary elections in April? To find out more, I'm glad to talk with Jack Barton, correspondent in Seoul, and Rung Ying, senior research fellow from the China Institute of International Studies. And of course, also Anand Tangen here in the studio. Jack, Mr. Jack Barton, I will start with you. So, I mean, the investigation has been going on for a few days. Uh, now, how much do we know about the incident? Yeah, we still don't know very much about the motive. We're learning more about the man. Uh, they're now saying he's 67, year old, uh, 67 years old. The name, the age seems to keep changing. And they're only giving out his family name, Kim. So, you know, they've searched Kim's office. They've searched Kim's apartment. Uh, they've seized materials. And, uh, you know, he has, according to the police, admitted that he intended to kill E.J. Myung, the leader of the main opposition 
political party here and he has said that he acted alone uh, but police still saying there's he hasn't really revealed a motive however when he was being taken to the courthouse down in Pusan local reporters asked uh, Kim you know about the motive and he said he had turned over an eight-page confession to the police about why he had done this so if that's true and we don't know that it is then the police would be beginning to get some idea of why he carried out this attack and uh, and so too would no doubt um, you know political insiders uh, remaining close to this case it's a big police task force 69 strong they're tasked with getting to the bottom of the attack but also trying to find ways to ensure it doesn't happen again but even here in south korea people not drawing immediate conclusions you know you could say well maybe it's far right uh, but uh, ej myung is so polarizing and so divisive even within his own party uh, even south koreans have really got a big question mark and an open mind about what this man might have been thinking as well as of course his state of mental health or lack of a sort mm -hmm. of a mental health uh, so jack what's the public response to the political violence here shock uh, it's not new to South Korea, of course. The man, uh, E.J. Myung's predecessor, was hit out campaigning, hit on the head with a blunt instrument. Uh, Park Geun-hye, the former president, uh, when she was in opposition, was also stabbed in the face. Her own mother was assassinated by uh, in a, an attempted assassination on her father, who, who was ultimately assassinated himself by his intelligence man. So this kind of violence in the political arena is not new, and yet it is still shocking. You know, that someone could be out there you had 50 security personnel around DJ Myung that they weren't tasked with personal security it was more about crowd control and yet someone can come through and carry out what was almost a fatal attack if it had hit his carotid artery and we hear it was so close the doctors at the hospital where he's been treated say it's very unlikely he would have even made it to the first hospital uh, for surgery so it was a very close call for ej myung and i think that's still sort of you know the nation's still really trying to grapple with what's happened uh well rung ying you know uh, seeing from outside south korea what could be the likely factors you know leading to the political violence Certainly, I think uh, South Korea has a long history of political violence uh, in its modern uh, politics. I think your, the, your reporter the, uh, mentioned that there are several examples. I would just add one more that even the U.S. ambassador uh, was hit some years back. And not to mention, I think, the uh, politicians or political figures, when they campaign, they will be hit or they'll be uh, by, I mean, uh, tomatoes or the eggs and the like that. This is largely because, as you rightly said, that because of the political polarization, political hatred, political extremism. I think this is also being complicated or aggregated by the fact that the uh, two contenders or contending parties, and particularly when President Yong came to power, I think we have seen between themselves and two parties, I think the contention or the confrontation has not only not been sort of decreased, rather because of the emphasis on ideology, on um, these hate, I mean, and they are supporters for hatred, hatred, they are, they, 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 the atmosphere, the, 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 the I mean, the situation becomes worse. Uh, so, Anna, you know, some people would question, is the incident, you know, somehow related to the rivalry between the 
basically the top two uh, leading politicians in the country, President Yoon and of course uh, the opposition leader, uh, Mr. Lee, you know, given uh, since uh, the uh, uh, last election, you know, Lee lost election, uh, but with the narrowest margin in the country's history, uh, obviously there's a lot of rivalry between the two since then, you know, the president uh, does not see as him as the leader of the opposition party and uh, so it's sort of like lacking respect and Lee himself is uh, is a controversial figure too here? Well, controversy aside, this is something that's uh, besetting almost all democracies across the world. Uh, you've seen this incredible polarization on, on both sides where it leads to uh, personal attacks. I mean, you, you look at Trump and, and Biden. Uh, you can look, uh, you know, in Brazil, uh, Duterte. It's, I mean, there's all, all over the place. Uh, wherever democracy is, because of changes in the politics and economics of the world, things shifting south and east, people are unhappy. And they uh, listen to people who say that I have a simple solution for you, even though they cannot deliver because it, when they take office, the challenges remain the same and there's only so much you can do. So at this juncture, um, yes, uh, what uh, candidates are doing to get to power is creating this polarization that they all complain about. Uh, and it really has to do with, you know, as I said, change and disappointment among voters. Well, Jack, you know, a survey in December uh, in South Korea showed you know, more than 50% of uh, respondents uh, said they felt the political divide worsening in the country. And many say they found, uh, this is the, another survey, uh, they found it uncomfortable uh, to share meals or drinks with people who didn't share uh, their political views. I mean, how divided is the nation? Over what issues here? Yeah, I remember when the election was on, you know, the, the most common topic was why do we have these two to vote for? And both of them in their own way are deeply unpopular. And you could say that Yoon uh, didn't so much win the election by being more popular. The Democratic Party lost the election because of their track record and and uh, E. J. M. Young was only slightly more unpopular. So. And it's been like that ever since. Uh, no one really embraces either of these, uh, these men. It's not so bad that I see people openly arguing about it, but people do try to keep their opinions to themselves. In terms of policies, ironically, they're not that far apart. E.J. Myung is very much uh, centre-left. Uh, he's even spoken positively of the country's former strongman, Park Chung-hee, and, uh, you know, to the point where Yoon even joked at one point, you could come and be our party president. So, you know, in terms of policy, but it, you know, as one of your other guests mentioned, it really comes down to personalities in a sense. The bitterness between these two men, the personal attacks and the open dislike of one another, I think has fueled into and amplified this debate. And uh, yeah, it hasn't made the politics easy. The fact also that Yoon has a minority in the National Assembly where this divisiveness continues, but also where E.J. Myung's own party within the National Assembly, many of them aren't too keen on him. When Yoon recently uh, got a prosecutor's writ to press charges against um, E.J. Myung, he put it to the National Assembly because he has immunity. It was assumed it wouldn't pass because the Democrats have the majority, and it did pass. So it shows a lot of dissent with his 
in his own party and a lot of discomfort. And some people said Yoon did it, hoping that E.J. Myung would run into the next election so his party would have an unpopular candidate to face in the election, giving them a better chance of winning. So all of this is quite ugly and, uh, yeah, not getting any better. So, Ruyin, uh, do you agree it's mostly politics rather than policy differences in terms of running the country here? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, the uh, politics definitely uh, takes over the, I mean, policies. And because as clear, it's, I think, the, uh, there are no better policy solutions or solution to the problems that South Korea is facing. So it becomes frustrated, uh, dissatisfied, and becomes polarized. And of course, that also gives rise to the populism. Uh, which, to some extent, I think, uh, fueled by the politics. This is something really bad and really sad, I think, for a country like that. Mm -hmm. What policies or what challenges do, uh, are you talking about, Rong Yim? Are you talking about like a relationship with uh, the North or you know, policies on, uh, with, the, with the regional countries, with Japan, with Russia, uh, with the US, with China, or domestically, for example, you know, the low birth rate? Yeah, I think mostly, as far as I can see, I think there are the problems, the challenges come from domestic pol politics, I mean, uh, development in terms of the, uh, to keep, uh, to maintain a relatively uh, a stable or high uh, growth rate, to find a way to address the divide, the gap between uh, different uh, communities and groups, and, and of course, at uh, the uh, diplomatic uh, sort of uh, front, uh, foreign policy, in terms of foreign policy, there are also challenges. But the most of the problems, I would say, that comes from domestic, domestic. policy, come from, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I, domestic problems plus even this politics, uh, sometimes, as Jack said, ugly politics. Well, I, I, I'm not going to disagree slightly. I mean, uh, South Korea's foreign policy has impacted its domestic policies, especially in terms of, of China. Uh, there has been, you know, kind of a coolness between there. It's been very difficult to do business back and forth. I'm half Korean. I have uh, people who say it's a little, you know, it's not the way it used to be. I uh, used to have very large populations of Koreans living in, even in Beijing and around the country. Not the ethnic ones who were born here, but people who were doing business here. A lot less of them now. So it, there has been uh, things, and I think uh, if you s start looking at Lee, he's much more of a pragmatist. He's expressed that. He said he wants to engage uh, North Korea and figure out a way to demilitarize. He's talked about balancing his uh, relationship uh, economically with China and um, security-wise with the United States, um, very pragmatic in his approach. Now, he came from a very poor background. He talks, he's a champion of the people. He got involved in law. I mean, he didn't go to school. He was, he was working, an underage worker in factories, got disabled, ended up in school. So he's been somebody who's risen from, where in China they would say the grassroots. Uh, he chose, instead of going into a, a prestigious career, which he could have chosen, he chose to be a labor lawyer, a human rights lawyer, and to campaign on, on behalf of the people. Uh, he was very successful as a, a mayor and a governor in terms of turning things around. Uh, so he's seen as pragmatic, but he's also controversial. He pushes his opinions out there. And of course, this is going to rub people the wrong way. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Jack, we know that there's an upcoming parliamentary election in April. Uh, how likely the incident will have some impact on that election? 
They could have. It's still too early to tell. And then you never know. April is not so far away, but in politics, it's a lifetime away. Uh, but this could definitely give the Democrat Party a bit of a bump. And it is expected to have a bit of a, a rise anyway. Yoon's uh, popularity rating is never very high, but it's back down around 32 percent. Uh, again at the moment and uh, the Democrat Party in general is about 16 percentage points higher than that so likely they're going to gain even more seats but looking forward to the next presidential election it could be a very different matter of course uh, Yoon can't run again it's only one term presidencies here but uh, a very uh, key and significant person uh, has just uh, left the Democratic Party, Enoch Yon, and he's saying he's going to set up his own political party next year, and that could carry a lot of votes away from the Democrats. And, you know, Yoon's own party, his party leader, also just resigning. So lots of internal problems as well. Uh, so we really have no idea how this is going to play out one in the National Assembly other than that Democrats could gain more seats but heading further down the track to the next presidential election you know you could have two sort of Democrat parties you could have a much weakened uh, party under Yoon we just don't know and of course Yoon himself won't be running so it'll all depend on who's representing his party mm -hmm. uh, so William what's the likely impact on the national politics you know some analysts that have warned the government you know or top politicians you know this could happen again because the situation is improving uh, isn't improving I mean uh, so what's the likely impact on the national psyche national politics here well I think the uh, as far as the security or safety of these politicians are concerned the police, the police, I think certainly has would have to do more in terms of uh, certainly in terms of the protection and also I think in terms of intelligence. I would come back to the question about the uh, sort of relation, the correlation between domestic and uh, foreign policy. It is mm -hmm. true. I agree that if South Korean government takes a more pragmatic approach. Uh, keeping in mind its I mean, uh, own interests and uh, continue to pursue a balanced strategy towards these neighboring, I mean, neighboring countries in particular and the major countries included, then it would, could, may have a better sort of a solution or better way to manage the domestic problem difficulties. Mm -hmm. But Anna, uh, is it, uh, I mean, is it doable in terms of uh, being pragmatic, uh, you know, in balancing the relationship probably here, obviously, with China, with the United States? I mean, because of the U.S. Uh, the hostile policy toward China, somehow South Korea um, has been under pressure. That's a reality. I mean, how, how should they manage and how difficult is it for them to manage? Well, I don't think South Korea needs more uh, bombs and guns. Uh, it does need more economic uh, activity. And quite frankly, uh, while all of this is going on, there's been meetings between, uh, a resumption of meetings between uh, South Korea, Japan, and China. And that is a very positive sign, the fact that they are beginning again. So let's hope that 2024 sees uh, a resumption of more emphasis on trade and peace rather than uh, war and conflict less geopolitics probably especially among the major powers uh, in the region and of course you know uh, let's uh, say uh, the temperature will be uh, uh, cooling off especially between the two major powers Beijing and uh, the United States Washington here well with that we come to the end of today's show many thanks to our guests I'm Xu Qindu see you next time sideline story brings you all things sports related 
the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.